Isn't that great worship tonight? Amen. Well, from here on out, it's downhill. Y'all stuck with me. But Dennis told me to do my best, so I'm going to give it a shot here. But anyway, good to be with you again this night. And I'm always thankful for an opportunity to come and share God's Word here at Open Range. I love being here, just to sit in that pew and be part of y'all. But to get to preach to you is just a, an extra blessing to me, and I thank God for this opportunity. Um, old Skeeter, I, I seen him Friday. He's doing good. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I miss Skeeter. Um, I was worried I had cooked on the pit, and Skeeter's become someone that eats with us whenever he gets an opportunity. And uh, I texted him. And said, Skeeter, I grilled today. I had an extra slab of ribs. I was wondering if you're interested. And I didn't get an answer. And I said, oh, he must really be hurting. And so I texted again. I said, I got some ribs. We done ate. We're not going to eat them. Would you like to have them? And it wasn't even 10 minutes. It was a few minutes. The phone rang. And it was Jeff, his son. He said, who is this? He said, Dad's phone is not working. And this is coming through on his tablet. He said, but we are interested in the ribs. So I knew Skeeter was all right. <laughs> but all kidding aside... We need to keep him in our prayers. He's in recovery, and I know he would appreciate that. But um, he'll be here for long, and I'm, I love Skeeter, and that was just a good Skeeter tale. We like to tell him on him. But all kidding aside tonight, I'm going to preach something more serious. In fact, I've had fun preaching some sermons that I love to preach here, but this is not one I like to preach. It comes out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. And we're going to look at a man today who's a heartbreaker. He's a man who is pretty much a hopeless case. How many of you was a hopeless case? <laughs> Man, I don't know about you. I was king of the hopeless cases. So he's dear to me. And I want you to know something. Jesus loves hopeless cases. And Jesus, there's not a case so hopeless that he can't fix it. And this is a man, we may be hopeless tonight. We may have got to the point where we're so out of touch with God. We're so out of control with our life. Our life is just being destroyed daily by the consequences and the circumstances of what the choices we've made have created. But I want you to know today that if Jesus saved this man and helped this man, there's not a room, man in this room that he can't help. And maybe tonight we all can say, praise the Lord. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. My life is sanctified and set apart. I was in the darkness. Now I see and have experienced the light. But how many of us would be honest today? There's people that we love. People that may be a child, a, a parent, or Someone dear to you who you've prayed and you've witnessed and you've loved and you've done everything you can possibly do. But if you're honest, you don't really pray for them like you used to because you've almost even give up. I want you to understand something tonight. That that's not uncommon in the days in which we live. I run into those type people and families with that situation way more than I would ever wish I did. But today as we read this man, read it with me. It starts in chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, that's a demon, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. 
And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. That's a heartbreaker, but then this next verse. But when he saw Jesus from afar. You see, I don't know about you, but it starts out, it says, when they came from the other side. One day I was on the other side. How about you? And if you haven't been saved and you haven't come to the cross and there's not a day in your life where Christ became your Savior, you're on the other side, friend. And when you're on the other side of Jesus, there you're a hopeless case. I don't care how good your life looks. And so everyone is hopeless to a degree. But we look at this man and we look at Satan's work. It's so vivid and so easy to see. And I want you to understand something tonight. Satan's at work. He's a reality. He's a personal being, just like God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, who walked the earth. And I want you to understand something tonight. Satan is walking this earth, and he is at work. Listen to what the Bible says just for a minute before we get into this text. Just a few. But the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So not only is him here, but he has demonic forces, the fallen angels. Listen to what it says. It says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And I believe we're at the end of the end. Amen? Jesus could be here at any time. And friends, listen. The Bible speaks about the devil as a person who seeks to get those who God loves. Listen to what Jesus told Peter. Jesus told Peter, he says, Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked it, you that he might sift you as wheat. The Bible speaks about that you can be caught into the snare of the devil. It tells us to be aware and to be careful because of the schemes of the devil. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That's the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, one another, but we wrestle against principalities, plural. Satan has a kingdom against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual forces or the spiritual hosts, the armies of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what that's saying. And over and over it speaks of the power that the devil is trying to take advantage of. Paul warned in 2 Timothy chapter. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And Jesus said this. He said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And friends, I believe with all my heart he was speaking when he said that about the devil. And friends, Peter tells us this. He said, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, your enemy, he's saying, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, how does Satan devour a person? How does he take advantage of a person? How does he ensnare a person? What does that look like? I think this man's a pretty clear picture of it. The first thing I see about this man is that the devil is at work in his life. And we don't like to admit that. We want to call it anything but the devil. We rename everything. It's no longer a drunkard that's in sin. He's an alcoholic. It's an addiction. Uh, we rename everything. Um, now they have what they call, if a child is unruly, he has this ADD. My daddy called it BAD, and he had a cure for it. He'd whoop you. <laughs> we rename everything. 
instead of calling it what it is. And friends, listen, we need to understand tonight, I'm not here to tell you there's a demon around every corner. I'm not Flip Wilson, the devil made us do it. But I'm here to tell you the devil's way more active than most people sitting in here tonight want to give him credit for. He is a reality. Jesus spoke about him. The Bible warned of him. And it gives us ammunition and wisdom how to combat him. But first you've got to recognize him. You see, Satan would rather go unnoticed as long as he can accomplish his purpose in a person's life. And there's lots of people today who look just like this man, but we don't attribute it to the work of the devil. We want to say, well, he needs counseling. He needs therapy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to tell you, if it's the devil's involved in it, that will never do anything. I went to rehab four times for three times. It don't do nothing to put a Band-Aid on it. There's some things only Jesus can fix. And I want you to look at this man. First thing I look at, it says, then they came to the other side of the sea of the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He was demonically possessed. And friends, listen, the first thing that you see describes him. It says, and when he come out of the boat, immediately this man, look, it says, who had his dwelling among the tombs. He was living in the cemetery. Listen to what else it says. And when he had come out of the boat, I mean in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs. You know the first thing Satan wants to do in a person's life is he wants to get you out of touch with everything that God has blessed you with when it comes to people who can help you. You see, this man was out of touch with God. If he was Jewish, and I believe he probably was, to be living in the cemetery made you unclean. It made you not right with God. It also made you not acceptable to go to church and worship. So he would have been spiritually feeling separated. You know what the devil wants to do to a person? He wants to get you in a lifestyle. He wants to get you making choices. He wants to get you to believe his schemes, his, to ensnare you so that he can get you out of touch with God. Then he wants to get you out of touch with people who love you and care about you. This man had a family because it says down there in the text, when he got saved and got right, God said, no. Jesus said, no, don't come with me. Go home to your friends. And tell them what I've done for you. So he had friends. I assume he probably had a mama. But he wasn't getting to hang out at mama no more. He was out of touch. He was no longer getting to go to church. His life was so far gone that the church probably wouldn't have even recognized him, much less embraced him. But guys, you know what? There's people in church every Sunday who's out of touch. They may be sitting next to you. They may look happy. They may be trying to put on the Christian face. But the reality is tonight, if you've got stuff in your life that the devil has got that you're keeping secret, that you can't tell a loved one about, that you don't even want to admit to God about, you're out of touch, my friend. And Jesus wants you to be close enough to where, like that song said, that he can hold your hand so you can walk with him. And if you are not living in a place today where you and Jesus spend time together to the point where you're close enough to Jesus to where you know he's got you. He's got you. Man, I might take a bad step every now and then, but I, he, he's close enough he can touch me. Friends, Satan wants you to get in a habit of doing things you're not supposed to do. Getting in a habitual way of sin. You know, people say, they say, well, grace forgives all sin. It does, but sin separates you from the presence of the fellowship and communion of God. It hinders the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says that the Spirit can be hindered it even says that he can be quenched. And the devil desires to get every one of us 
doing things, participating in stuff that gets us out of touch with God. And friends, there's a lot of people today that we know who are out of touch with us. They don't come around us anymore. They are isolated. You see, Satan loves to get people isolated. Listen to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, sin demands to, ha- sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community of faith. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of that sin over him. Did you hear that? So he knows if I can get them in sin, if I can get them in doing this stuff they shouldn't do, it's going to isolate them. They're going to be out of touch. And I don't know about you, thank God that there's a place where you know when you go there, you're welcome that you're part of. That's the church. When I come to church, I don't want you to just look at me. Shake my hand at least. Give me a hug. I want to know you. I want to touch somebody tonight. I want to come here and be touched. When I wake up in the morning, first thing I want to do is roll over and put my arm around my wife and say good morning. Amen. I want her to know she's got a husband laying next to her. Amen. But this man didn't have that anymore. And there was a time in my life where I lost that. Because my foolishness and my sin, and I was so out of touch with God and so out of touch with the world, I had gone to the point where even my wife left me. And we were in the works of having a divorce. But friends, that's what the devil wants to do to everybody. And friends, listen, we need to be in a place because everyone needs to have a place where they know that they're part of, that people's around them. At my place where I grew up, we grew up in a family where, man, we, everyone had a place. We used to sit at the table, and we, I don't know about y'all, they don't do this very much anymore, but everybody had their place. And we sat down together every night, and we ate supper. And friends, we'd sit down together, we'd sit down at that table. My daddy sat there, my brother sat there, my sister sat there, my mama sat there, and I sat at the end. And that was our place. And man, that's a good thing when you sit there except like on report card day or something. <laughs> or my mama say, when your daddy gets home from work, I'm going to tell him what you did. And then after you got through eating supper, he'd say, when you get through with that, go to your room and you get a touch. <laughs> but you know, somebody else in here tonight needs a touch like that. I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit touches me. I'm thankful when a brother in Christ loves me enough to touch my life by saying, you don't need to do that, Brother Marvin. You're going to get in trouble. You're out of the will of God. They ought not act like that. My wife has to tell me that a lot of times. <laughs> Thank God. But this man was by himself. You know what? The devil knows if I can get him out of touch where nobody cares about him, where nobody will try to correct him, where no one will ever try to to confront him in their sin, then I can get him out of control. And that's the next thing he's doing to this man. And that's what he wants to do to every person in this room because he's here to kill, kill, and destroy the life that Christ wants for you to have. And listen to what it says. Look how out of control he was. We may know somebody like this. I was like this. It says in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart from him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and neither could anyone tame him. We look at that and say, how cruel that someone would shackle someone up. But guys, they didn't have what we had today. They were doing the best they could to protect him because he was cutting himself with stones, trying to destroy himself. He was out of control. They were just trying to control him. We do the same thing. We call it rehab, jail. Jail don't rehabilitate. There's rehabilitation happens there. But the only 
thing really I think that can rehabilitate a person is the God who created that person. And friends, this man here, they're doing what they can, but it's not working. How many of you got a loved one like that? Man, we've done everything we know to do. We pray, we, we, we try to help them, we do what we can to show them love, but the more we do, it seems the more out of touch they get, the more out of control they get. And I'm hopeless. I don't know what to do. I can promise you his family was like that. I mean, how do you think his wife felt like? What do you think his mom and daddy felt like when they went to synagogue? Yeah, we heard, you know, their son's down there running around the graveyard naked. It's embarrassing. But the reality is that Jesus loves them. You see, what amazes me about this text, Jesus is on the other side. This man didn't call for Jesus. Jesus went for him. I wasn't looking for Jesus when Jesus found me. I was just looking for another drug, another way to satisfy my flesh, another way to get through another day of life, and then one day Jesus shows up. And friends, listen, there's not a person on this earth that's so out of touch and so out of control that Jesus can't help. And Jesus, he looks at us, and he sees tonight, he knows your daily habits. He knows the things you do. He knows if you're really in touch with him. He knows if your life is really experiencing the fruit of the Spirit called self-control and if the, the Spirit of God controls your life and if you're submitted to the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit and He knows if you walk in the flesh. And listen, if you walk in the flesh consistently and you live as a carnal, worldly Christian, you're going to reap. And you're going to get the consequences of that lifestyle choice. But if you choose to walk in the Spirit, you're going to experience the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we all hope and want to have. That's the life of Christ. So the devil's trying constantly to get us to do this. And he's a real force. I didn't know how much sin, how powerful it was till I tried to quit doing it. <laughs> and I didn't know how bad I was till Jesus took me out of that lifestyle. When you're in it, you don't see it. So he's out of control. But listen to this. Why does he want to get you out of touch with God and all the people that care about you, who can help you? Why does he want to get you out of control? Because ultimately he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And this man got so out of touch, so out of control that he was actually destroying his own life. Look at this. It says in verse 4, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart that the shackles were broken into pieces and neither could anyone tame him. No one could help him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. You know, there's young people today that cut. I don't think a normal person does that. You've got to be in a deep, painful condition to do bodily harm to yourself. But guys, listen, if you're going to go out and you're going to practice some of the things that some of us practice, you're destroying yourself every day. Drugs and alcohol about took me out of my life. They got my brother. It gets people every day. The opiate, you hear it on the news. You see them talk about it. Thank God we seem to hear them recognizing it's a problem. Prescription medicine. You know how many people overdose? Just look at the rich and famous that have taken their life lately. Do you just think that happens because someone's depressed or do you think the devil's involved with that? I'm going to tell you from flat up, I believe and know the devil's involved with it. No one is going to do that type stuff without some demonic, wicked influence. And friends, the devil is out there, 
and he's running rampant and people are committing suicide and people are ruining their lives with, through addictions and through bad lifestyles and they're destroying their lives each and every day. And friends, listen, we look at it and we just kind of think, well, that's the norm because it's so overwhelmingly abundant in the society that we live in today. But guys, listen, no matter how bad it is, no matter how far they've gone, no matter how out of touch, how out of control, yes, they may be destroying their lives. When I look at the thing I used to do, I used to stick needles in my arms and shoot dope. I'd go out in a field and after a good rain and I knew every cow pasture that made mushrooms. And I think about some of those times when I almost lost my mind, stayed up for two days, tripping how the devil was probably looking at that moment. I'm going to kill him, but oh God had a plan for me. Jesus knew one day that he was going to come over to the other side. He was going to find me. One day when I'd be willing to look and listen, it took me 33 years. How long did it take you? I did drugs from the time I was 15 to the time I was 33. After being married to my wife for eight years, when she had had all she wants, she said, when are you going to change? I said, I'm not. <laughs> I was totally content, I thought, to be where I was. She said, well, I didn't sign up to live this way the rest of my life. It's going to have to be you or the alcohol and the pot and all the other stuff. And I said, look, that's not fair. <laughs> this, I'm, no, I'm not hurting anybody. I don't, this is just me. This is what I am. And one day I came home and she was gone. Boy, what I thought life was all about began to change. And friends, at that moment when the things was as worst as I ever thought, she was gone. I was living in Tennessee. My mama was way down here. My brother was down here at that time. My sister, anybody who cared about me, the only people I had made friends with in Tennessee in eight years was drug people. And all they do is tell you, go get another case of beer and let's go get a bag of weed. You'll be all right, cook. Let's go hit a bar tonight. But the more I did that, the worse it got. And the more miserable I became. And then she gets saved. Calls me and said, I got saved. I want to talk to you. I go talk to her and I laughed at her. I said, that's for weak people. That's a crutch. I don't need that. She went to praying for me. I had broke her heart. I broke my mama's heart. Before it got over with, I broke my own heart. You ever done that? <laughs> That's how out of touch, how out of control, and how much I was destroying anything that matters in life about myself. And she got me to go to church with her one day. Man, I showed up at her apartment. We were separated. And I went to that church with her, Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. It was seated about 500 then. They was just built a sanctuary. And when I went to her house that night, she said, you can sleep on the couch or sleep in my bed, but you're not sleeping with me tonight. I got saved. I'm a new creature in Christ. I was like, what is that? She said, I said, I'll sleep on the couch. I'm laying on the couch thinking, this is crazy. I've been married to her eight years, and I got to sleep on the couch? Yeah, we were out of touch. <laughs> Man, got up the next day. She said, you can't go to that church with that ice chest in the back of that truck. Take my ice chest of beer out. Had a pan of dope under the seat. Man, I pulled up to church, and I got a big old pack of camels in my pocket. I'm getting that last puff before we went in there. And she opened the door of that church and we walked in and she went all the way down the left side. They had three rows to the left, second to the front. And I was hyperventilating when we got there. <laughs> and I sat out. <gasps> I had my hair in a ponytail. That's the only way I could make it halfway look presentable. 
And man, we sitting there and people's coming up. You must be, bro, Marvin. We love your wife. She's so dear. We have heard. We're so glad you're here, Marvin. You must be Marvin. Man, we're so glad. And then people's coming up to me. Boy, I'm, I ain't wanting to be touched. <laughs> but man, I'm watching around. They look happy. They hugging one another. They excited. I'm sitting there miserable. And this woman here who don't have anything, who's barely getting by, who has a husband that has ruined everything that she thought mattered, is smiling and happy, and I'm sitting there. Man, I went home. I said, God, whatever that is, just give me a chance. I'm going to do good. I'm going to change. I made God every promise I knew to go to sleep that night. So I started going to church with her. I went back to church to get my wife back. But I'm so glad God gave me more than my wife back. See, he has a plan, guys. He can fix anything. My mama said, all I prayed for you to do is to get saved, son. I'd have never dreamed you'd ever be called to preach. Who would <laughs> if you'd have knew me? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My mama liked to faint it when we told her. Whoa, he's going to embarrass us all. <laughs> but you know what? God can do anything. Because listen, this man here's life was hopeless by any examination. Guilty, hopeless. But listen to this. And when he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you that you do not torment me. And he said, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus said, Get out of him, devil. And friends, listen. We know this text. I don't have time tonight to go into the whole thing. But Jesus cast out that demonic presence, and it was a legion. <laughs> and we don't know how many that is, but it was enough that it made a whole herd of hogs, 2,000, run over a cliff and commit suicide. Friends, listen, after Jesus healed this man, it didn't take a year of Sunday school. It didn't take the 12-step program. I'm here to tell you, if you're in addiction, it's a one-step. <laughs> Jesus. He'll help you make 12 more if that's how many you need. You just let him have your hand and walk with him and he'll fix you. Amen? But he don't need a whole lifetime to fix a hopeless life. In a moment, this man was converted. He was changed. I don't know about you, but I believe in the born-again experience. Amen? you dead in the flesh you have no life in you. Then God breathes the Holy Spirit into your life because you get washed by the blood and Christ becomes your Savior and they fill you with the life of God and you become a born-again new creature in Christ. D.L. Moody, I mean, um, Moody said this way. He said, oh, um, not Nicodemus, the one that, little wee man, what was his name? I don't went. Zacchaeus, he said, he went up the tree, a chief of sinners, a tax gatherer. He come back down. He said, Jesus, come to my house. He was a new man. He got changed somewhere between up the tree and down into a new creature. Jesus changes people, friend. He can change you. He can change your loved one. Never give up on Christ. Because listen, this is my favorite verse in this whole passage. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. He was running around naked. He's clothed again. He's in his right mind. Jesus, first thing he did was with anybody who gets saved, if you ever got saved, you're going to want to go with Jesus. You're going to want to be around Jesus. You're going to want to be around the people that Jesus is around. He wanted to go with Jesus and his disciples. He said, let me go with you. Jesus said, no. You go back to your friends. Look at verse 19. 
However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. (laughs) See, God has compassion for hopeless people. And this man, he goes home and the first thing he's doing, he's preaching. Look at this, Brother Marty. And he departed and began to proclaim, proclaim. That means he's telling them about Jesus in Decapolis and all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. He didn't have to go to seminary. He just told them about what Jesus did. Because something, Jesus did it. And friends, you know what? That's what God does with people. He takes the most hopeless case and turns them into someone who brings him glory and helps other hopeless cases. Oh, I would share some more, but I just want to show you something tonight. I felt led because I tell y'all stories about me, and I think y'all think I embellish, but it should come up here in a minute. I gave him a picture. That was me before we got saved. That's my brother that got killed, my poor wife. I don't never know what she's seen in me. And that's my stepdad. He was the only, he was a preacher at that time. And this was at Christmas he came up there. Look at this next one. This was about a year before, about two years before I got saved. My youngest son calls that the Charles Manson. (laughs) And and it's a mystery in our family how it came to be because back then we didn't have phones and we had films you had to get developed and we had a camera that laid around and every now and then we'd catch a fish, kill a buck, we'd take a picture of it. It'd take us a year or two to fill it up and then we'd get it developed. Well, that thing, they get it developed and out of nowhere that was on it. My son says, he took that of himself. I can't remember. (laughs) I think he took it of me, but I can't remember that either because that's the kind of condition I was in. So I don't know when it was taken. But they would look at that and they'd laugh. The grandkids look at it and say, that's Papa. This other one here, I'll show you. This is when we got married for the second time. By the time God got all our stuff straight, our divorce went through. Now, I've only been the husband of one wife, but I married her twice. (laughs) But this time I married her with Jesus. And this is in in my cabin where I lived. And you can see I cleaned up, but I had a mullet. The grandkids call that the mullet matrimony. They, They tease me. They all talk about my mullet. Never grow a mullet. You'll never live it down with the grandkids. But anyway... You know, I show you this because I want you to realize something. This verse says it all. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. (laughs) Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. Friends, that doesn't just matter to some people. That's anybody that comes to Christ. Tonight, maybe you are in that place where you're hopeless. You said, Brother Marvin, I've confessed, I've repented so many times, I've had second chances, dozens of them. I have too. But where else can you go but Jesus? And friends, you know what I can promise you? If you're coming tonight with a desire to truly have Jesus help you, he's not going to turn you away. He's going to have compassion on you. Do you know how many times my mama prayed for me? you know how many times my mama had give up on me? And then when it finally happened, she couldn't even believe it, that it did. That's what Jesus does. He takes hopeless, unbelievable situations and turns them into truths that everyone can see and say, that had to be Jesus. My mama used to call me the creature. 
when I give my testimony, I said I went from the creature to the preacher. Amen. And I was a creature. That old song that Charlie Daniel sang, long-haired country boy, people say I'm no good, crazy ass alone. Because I get stoned in the morning, I get drunk in the afternoon, and that was my badge of honor. That was my anthem. But one day I met Jesus. And he took away alcohol. He took away drugs. I'm not perfect by any means, but boy, I sure ain't where I used to be. And he's never, ever left me since that day when he came into my heart. Tonight, while heads are bowed and we're just kind of thinking about the glorious gospel power of Jesus. Tonight, would you be honest enough to say, Brother Marvin, I'm out of touch. I'm out of control here tonight there's somebody here tonight who realizes that God has showed you that you're on the road to destroying your own life and would you be willing to even raise your hand and say Jesus help me tonight would it be one I praise God is there any more because I want you to know something Jesus loves you and he's here tonight and he'll help you but I want to ask us this how many of us here tonight, and I know there should be a bunch, would be willing to admit I got a loved one, a child, or a parent, or a, a sibling who's out of touch, out of control, and his life is being destroyed by the enemy. Praise God, hands everywhere. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to give you hope tonight. And I want to increase your faith tonight to not quit praying. To not quit telling them about Jesus. My mama told me about Jesus until I was tired of hearing about it. But one day I got to call her back and tell her about Jesus because she never quit telling me. And friends, I want you to tonight to rekindle that flame of hope and to pray for them again, to trust Jesus again. So tonight I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to pray for the brother who's raised his hand. And Lord, we know that you have power to deliver not just to forgive, but to set captives free. Jesus, we thank you for the blood of Calvary. Not only does it wash away sin, but it cancels sin. It takes away our guilt and shame. It frees us and redeems us. And Lord, we're no longer a puppet of Satan. We're your child. We're your children. And Lord, I pray for the man who raised his hand and said, I need you to help me, Lord. I'm out of touch. I'm out of control. Lord, tonight, wherever he is, would you help him to get where he needs to be? And would you draw him close to yourself and let him know that you love him? If he needs to be saved, save him, Lord. And for everybody else who has a loved one on their heart right now who's thinking, oh, God, if you could just help my loved one. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus for all these people that we're thinking about. That, Lord, just as you crossed over and went to the other side, met this man in a cemetery, and changed his life forever. That you'll do that for our loved ones. Father, we believe in this. We thank you for this reality, this truth. That in Jesus, all things are possible. And Lord, I ask you tonight to save the lost. To help the saved. To overcome and to live a life that honors you and brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.